Yeah. You see, we're putting the cover sheets on all TPS reports now before they go out. Did you see the memo about this? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I have the memo right here. I just uh, forgot. But uh, it's not shipping out till tomorrow, so there's no problem. Yeah. If you could just go ahead and make sure you do that from now on, that would be great. And uh, I'll go ahead and make sure you get another copy of that memo. Okay? Yeah, no, I, right, I, I right, have Peter. the memo. I've got it. It's right. Hello, Phil. What's happening? Um, I came far here yesterday. Milton. Hi. Uh, could you turn that down just a little bit? But I, I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume from 9 to 11. Yeah, no, no, I, I know you're allowed to. I, uh, I was just thinking maybe like a, you know, personal favor. Well, I... I, I, I told Bill that if, if Sandra's going to listen to her headphones while she's, while she's falling, then I should be able to listen to the radio while I'm collating. Uh -huh. So I don't see why okay. I should have to turn down the radio because yeah, all right. okay. I enjoy listening at a reasonable volume. Thanks. From 9 to 11. No. Hi, Peter. What's happening? We need to talk about your TPS reports. Yeah, the cover sheet, I know. I know. Uh, Bill talked to me about it. Yeah. Did you get that memo? Yeah, I got the memo. And I understand the policy, and the problem is just that I forgot the one time, and I've already taken care of it, so it's not even really a problem anymore. Ah, yeah. It's just we're putting new cover sheets on all the TPS reports before they go out now, so if you could go ahead and try to remember to do that from now on, that'd be great. All right. Peter Gibbons? Yes. I have the memo. about now okay check can you hear me now sweet thank you now seriously it's cool um before we, before we get started let's just pray real quick god i thank you for this evening i thank you for what you're doing i thank you for what you want to do god thank you for ordaining each person to be here tonight thank you for just the promises that you give us god i pray that you would anoint me to speak your word to speak your truth god and to speak in power pray that you remove any fear, remove any uh, need to want to impress anybody else, God. That you would just come, that you would just use me to speak your word. I pray that you would come. In Christ's holy name, amen. Well, my name is Dan. I am kind of in charge of the youth ministry here. Um, also do some other various and sundry things, the books. Uh, I share an office with my sister. Um, 27 years old, married to a beautiful woman have the best one-year-old baby in the world. That's my life in a nutshell right there. But I've uh, been coming to the church now for about a year and a half. I was invited by Dan and Claire Domingo, awesome people, great runners. They're in crazy good shape. And honestly, that was one of the first things I noticed about the church was, like, dang, there are a lot of people here who are in really good shape. 
And you talk to people, and they're like, yeah, yeah, I went out for, you know, a seven, eight-mile run last night. I'm like, oh, well, that's cool. How fast did you do it? They're like, oh, six, six-minute pace. Like, All right. Cool. <laughs> I don't want to run with you then. Like, I run every now and then, and I've run my best time. This was awesome. I did five miles, and I did just a hair under eight-minute miles. And I came back, and after I regained consciousness, I was like, yeah! Eight-minute miles, baby! All these people are like, yeah, that's, you know, take it easy, just go eight-minute miles, whatever. But runners are pretty crazy people. So that being said, there's a lot of runners here who are probably here tonight. So you've probably heard of a guy named Dean Karnazes. Or if you haven't, I'm going to tell you just a little bit about him. To start off with, he's pretty much insane, if you want to characterize him. He's 44, 45 years old now, started running at the age of 30. Out with some friends, partying, was crazy drunk, and just said, you know what, this lifestyle just isn't for me. I'm going to go running. And so the guy went out, and he ran a marathon that night from, you know, being just alcohol and beer and, well, beer is alcohol, but beer and like, uh, and like chicken wings. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to go out and run for a couple hours. So he ran a marathon basically that night, his first run. His first run. Um, so long story short, he really gets into running. Uh, just a few of his accomplishments. He's won the Badwater, Badwater Ultra Marathon several times. If you don't know anything about Badwater, it's a 135-mile-long race. Uh, through the desert, up to a mountain. Uh, it gets, the street gets around, well, the street, you have to run, when you're running, you can't run on the pavement itself, you have to run on the paint along the side, or actually in the sand, because your shoes will start to melt on the pavement. So, not only are you running 135 miles through the desert, up a mountain, your shoes might melt if you don't run right. Um, his goal has been to run 300 miles, and I think just recently, just recently he did that. 300 miles. Get that in perspective just a little bit. That's like saying, okay, I'm going to put my running shorts on, put a little tank top on, and I'm going to run to, I don't know, somewhere north of Atlanta tonight. Craziness is all that is. A few of his tricks. He, what he is, is, I mean, he's... Uh, he was a businessman, father, husband, so he doesn't want to take away from family time. So he says, well, what's the only time I can run that I can take away from my family? Well, that's in the middle of the night. So he ended up doing runs through the night. And run for him is anywhere between like a 30-mile run would be short. So he'll go on training runs anywhere from 70 to 100 miles. So he'll just run completely through the night. A couple of things that's happened to him, he's gone temporarily blind. He has passed, he's fallen asleep while running. <laughs> what he'll do most of the time is he'll actually go out. And you got to, I mean, if you're, when you're running that much, you lose so much energy and so much fuel from the body. So you have to refuel. You have to get calories uh, back into your body. So what he'll do is he'll take a GPS unit and say, okay, well, in 45 minutes, I should be here. Call a pizza place. Tell him to meet him at a certain, a certain spot. He'll go, get the pizza, eat an entire pizza, keep on running. That's just a little bit. A little bit. When you run that much, the body actually releases chemicals because it thinks you're having a heart attack. That's just a little bit. So if you've heard of Dean Karnazes, you've probably also heard of Pam Reed. Pam Reed, Pam and Dean are kind of rivals, if you can have an ultra-marathon rival. 
Uh, she heard that Dean was trying to go for 300 miles. He got to like 260 or 261, and he just ran out of gas or something, hit the wall. So she heard that he was trying to get to 300. So she's like, hmm, I haven't really trained for it, but I'm going to go out and run 300 miles tonight. So she took a team of people, went out and ran 300 miles, got to 300 and said, I wonder if I miscounted, I'll run one more. So ran 301 miles over 80 hours straight. Now, what does that have to do with the talk? What does that have to do with office space? What does that have to do with a picture that Tom got of somebody jumping into a into a pool and and their father encouraging you encouraging them and in a few minutes i'm going to try and wrap that up (laughs) those two people pam and dean are like i said at the beginning pretty much crazy but there's a spark inside of them that drives them to do that there's some kind of a spark that says you know what my life is not fulfilling. It's not satisfying living it this way. It's not satisfying doing this specific thing. So I want to chase something great. I want to chase the world record for longer than anybody has ever run at one time. That probably is not any of our goals in here. But the spark, whatever ignited that feeling inside of them that said, yeah, I want to do that. I, I really and truly believe that that is existent in all of us. There, there is a spark that has been coded inside of our DNA that makes us long for adventure. It makes us long to live our lives in a reckless, careless, with just complete abandon. That spark is inside of us all. Uh, and we try various things to fill it. We try relationships. We try... Uh, We try drugs. We try sex. We try all the good things. We try making more money. (laughs) Good things and bad things. (laughs) We try making more money. We try uh, having a great family. We try to have the best body. We try to, to do whatever, and we try to fill those things because that spark's there. Because that desire to do something great is ingrained in all of us. Now, what I want to do is I want to talk about Romans 1 and 2. And the crazy thing about that is, is, is if you've been around church for any length of time, Romans 1 and 2 is probably almost a cliche to you. You've heard it, you know, almost as many times as John 3.16. It's just this ever-present, if you've ever been through youth ministry, you've heard that. Like, you know, hey... Uh, therefore, in view of God's mercy, go and, you know, be transformed. Don't conform. And that's, that's great. And I think that is a huge message of that verse, but there's so much more to it. There's so much more that, that God wants us to have. And, and I like um, the NIV actually says, and, and I'm sorry, Tim, I'm using the NIV. But it says, therefore, in view of God's mercy... So therefore, in view of God's mercy, so almost in response to God's mercy. Well, this is Romans. I mean, what is, what is God's mercy? What does that really mean to me? Well, Paul, who wrote Romans, had just spent the, the first 11 chapters of Romans explaining to, explaining to us this mercy, explaining what he's talking about. 
So he's saying, I mean, just a few examples. He, he was talking about Romans 7, 6. He says that we are released from the law, that we don't live held captive by the law anymore, that we live under the new spirit of life. Romans 8, 3 says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the new law of the Spirit has set you free. Now, it's a huge, it's a huge overarching theme for the first 11 chapters of Romans, where he's talking about God's mercy. He's saying, well, first and foremost, you've been set free from the law. So the law, uh, for most of us, I mean, that's a good thing. We're talking about the Ten Commandments, basically. Uh, that's a good thing. That's God's design. That is perfection. The only problem is we can't live by that. I mean, if we could live by just the Ten Commandments, well, dang it, we'd have a straight shot right to heaven. One-way ticket. But the problem is, though the, the law is good, those things are perfect. That is, that is pointing the way that we should go to heaven. The problem with that is, all it does is it points out when we fail. Because nobody can live up to those standards. Nobody can abide by the law, the letter of the law every second of the day. I mean, think about it. Broke it. I'm good. And I'm going to hell now because I just broke it in my head. Because I, I broke the letter of the law. It, and it's just that quick. So Paul, the whole thing he's setting up is he's saying that, he's like, listen, we're not held captive by that anymore. We are not chained to the letter of the law. We've been set free from that. Uh, and we're now living under a different spirit. We're, different, we're living under the life of the Spirit. We're living in an age of grace. And we're, giving, we're living in mercy right now. A few other things. I mean, he says, earlier in Romans, Christ said, or Paul says, while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. So, back to Romans 12, he says, in view of God's mercy, in response to all those things, in, re, in response to Christ dying, in response to being setting free being set free from the law, he says, in view of that, in response to that, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Offer your bodies as a response to what you know about what Christ did, what has happened to us. In response to that, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. And that's kind of that's where the the breakdown comes. It's easy to say, okay, I want to be transformed. I don't want to conform. I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to smoke. I'm not going to chew. I'm not going to go with the boys that do. I'm not going to do these things. But when you get down to offering your body as a living sacrifice, that's where you hit so many bumps in the road. That's where it becomes really, really difficult. Because, I mean, what a, a living sacrifice. Okay, well, it's Take it, okay, it's a living A sacrifice is, is, in the Old Testament times, it's when they took a lamb and they cut its neck and they said, here, God, it's a sacrifice to you to atone for our sins. So what he's saying is, live as though you're already dead. Live as though you've lost it all. Live with complete, reckless abandon. That is what he's saying. But the problem, is, the problem with doing that is so much of our lives, so much of our existence is, is just what we saw in office space. It's just getting by. It's just surviving. So much of our lives, everything that, that surrounds us, everything that we general, have, a, have a tendency to walk into, all of those things scream for us just to, 
just live a typical life, just get by, just earn some money, just have a nice family, or just get this done, just get that done. But God forbid, whatever you do, don't break the mold. Don't, don't do anything different than what everybody else is doing. And that's why Office Space is a great movie for so many reasons, but it really, really points to that. It really shows that disconnect and, that, and just that complete lack of satisfaction that this life is trying to suck us all into. It is trying to desensitize, desensitize us to what God has for us, to what God wants for each of us individually. So we talked about that spark. And, and this is a great quote by a person named Dorothy Sayers. It says, The church has very efficiently paired the claws of the Lion of Judah, making him a fitting household pet for pale curates and pious old ladies. So the reason I, I said that quote is, and it's not, it's, it's not just the world, but it's the church a lot of times too. A lot of times the church is the one preaching that message of, of, of just abide by the letter of the law and it'll be good, it'll be cool. But Christ is saying, listen, I've set you free from that. Live as though it's already gone. Live with complete reckless abandon. And then you've got life coming in saying, listen, just, just blend in. Just have a house. Just, just live as everybody else is living. But the problem with that is you can't, you can't justify that with what the Bible says, what God's Word says about the heart and the nature of Christ. When you read, when you read God's Word, you don't get the sense, nowhere in there do you get the sense that Christ was this uh, play it safe, do right kind of guy, you know? The sense that he wasn't a risk taker. I think it's the exact opposite. When you pair that with what you hear and what you hear of, uh, of stories of, of how people have truly experienced Christ in Cuba, I mean, why is that not happening here? Why are we not having, you know, three weeks of testimonies for every one week that we live? Why is that not happening? And you've got someone like Rich Mullins, who, if you don't know who he is, read about his life. He's an incredible guy. Listen to his music. It's a little dated, some of it, but it's still pretty cool stuff. He described the love of God. He said, uh, uh, there's a wideness in God's mercy I cannot find in my own. He keeps the fire burning to melt this heart of stone. Keeps me aching with a yearning. Keeps me glad to have been caught in the reckless raging fury that they call the love of God. The reckless raging fury that they call the love of God. That's the God that I want to know. That's the God that I want to have an intimate, deep relationship with. I don't want to live a life that's motivated by fear, that, that's motivated, that's saying, hey, just stay where you are. Just, 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 just get by. I don't want to live that life. I want to live a life that leads me to truly understand the God that has a reckless and raging fury of love. That's the God that I want to know. You know, the Chronicles of Narnia, and I was made into a movie a couple of years ago, and it was, it was an okay movie. Um, I got really excited about it because I had heard one quote from the movie, so I read the book, 
I'm, yeah, from the book, and then I read the book, and then I was like, oh, well, I've got to see the movie now. This will be great. And the whole, the whole idea was, when they're, talking about, um, when they're talking about the lion, there's a talking beaver, I believe, um, and, and one of the kids. And, and they're talking about, talking about the lion that's going to come, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. So they're talking about lion. The lion's the good guy. He's the picture of Christ in the Chronicles of Narnia. So I'm like, oh my gosh, he's a lion. It, well, uh, is he safe? And the talking beaver says, very matter of fact, well, no, of course he's not safe. He's a lion. But he's good. And that's the crux of the whole book. If you haven't read the book or seen the movie, there it is. And, and it was done, I don't think, very well in the movie. I think it was such a, it's such a bigger moment than that. Of course he's not safe. But he's good. Okay, he's still not convinced that Christ was, was a fairly reckless person, that he lived his life with an abandon, and that he was a risk taker. Well, look at, look at the people that he surrounded himself with. He surrounded himself, he, he said, okay, well, I'm the son of God, I've taken on human flesh, need to get my story to the world, so I guess I've got to get some disciples. Does he go and get the really smart people? No, he goes beside a lake, and he grabs some fishermen. And the fishermen are apparently right up his alley because he, he just says, hey, come follow me. And they did. They left everything. They left everything and they went and followed him. And it talks about they left their father. They left their boat. They left the net just sitting there. I mean, can you imagine being the dad and you've got a fish and a net or you've got a net full of fish in this boat? And you're like, dude, we got fish. Come on. And your sons are just gone. And they're like, see, Pops? And that's it. That's all you see from them. You've got Peter who walks on water. Peter, I mean, the dude gets out of a boat and walks on the water. And this whole time you hear this theme. You hear Christ saying over and over and over to them. You hear Christ, or Paul, Christ is walking out. He's going to meet him on the boat. And, he, and Peter's like, Lord, if that's you... Just say so or let me know it's you. And he's like, all right, we'll get out of the boat and I'll show you. So Peter steps over the boat, steps over the bow or the boat or whatever you call it. And he's walking on the water. That's a pretty amazing feat. And then all of a sudden, you know, he's like, oh, I'm walking on water and there's waves all around me. So he starts to get freaked out. I can't imagine why. And he starts to sink. And then Christ comes over, picks him up by the hand. And he's like chastising him. He's like. Why don't you have faith? Why? What's it going to take for you to believe me? Why are you so afraid? Don't you know that I'm with you? And the same thing when, when all the disciples were out in the boat and Christ is down in the bottom sleeping, there's this huge storm. And, you know, waves again, rocking the boat. And the disciples are freaking out. They think they're going to sink. So they go and get Jesus. And again, doing, doing a very Jesus thing, he says, be still and I'll be doggone if the storm doesn't just go away. And again, he turns to his disciples and he's like, why are you guys so afraid? I'm with you. I'm Jesus. I'm the Christ. I'm a reckless guy. I'm going back down. I'm getting some sleep. And, that it's, and you hear that over and over. Why are you so afraid? Why, why don't you have the faith? I'm right here. I am Jesus. So he's still not convinced. Okay, again, Christ... God steps out of heaven, steps into human flesh, needs to get his story of salvation to save the entire world. 
So who's he going to recruit? Well, we've already said he's got some fishermen. He's got a virgin on board. He's got a couple of prostitutes. And he's got a tax collector. And then he passes the ball off to us and says, go, do my work. I'm here for 33 years. You guys have got the rest of time. Go. And tell me not, God's not a risk taker. Look at the people. Look, look around at your neighbor and the people that are sitting in this room. And these are the people that Christ has anointed to be his hands and his feet and his body in this area. And tell me God is not a risk taker. Tell me God is not incredibly crazy for just that fact alone. That is, that's God's heart. That's, he's not, yes, he, you know, he, he is described as, as humble, as meek, as all these things. But he is just as much a raging fire. And he is just as much a torrential storm. And he is just as much the lion that's described in the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. He is not at all safe. But he is good. He is good. So, we've all got that common theme. That same need for thrills. So, so what are we going to do with that? <laughs> and I love... I, I, I actually, if you can't see this right now because you're not close, but I actually have chill bumps thinking about this. Uh, when Tom was sharing the picture that he had of this, of this child jumping into the pool, I was like, I don't even have to teach tonight. That's Because that's it. That's, that's the crux of everything. That's the point. Just like Christ said to his disciples over and over and over, he's the dad in the pool, and he's like, just jump. I'm right here. Just jump. Trust me. Just trust me. And again, he even sums it all up. Um, Christ lived his life, crucified, raised from the dead, came back. And the very last thing he says, he says, listen, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Kind of sets it up. That's a big deal. Nobody else in this room can say, I have all authority in heaven and earth. So therefore, go and make disciples. And that's the Great Commission. And that's incredible. That's a great thing. Know that scripture. That's good. But even at the end, it's the same thing. He goes, for even I am with you to the very end of the age. He's just backing up his point one more time. He's like, listen, guys, I have this incredible life for you. You are going to do amazing things, greater things than I did when I was on earth. I have a life that's full, that's completely full, that is not dull, that is not weighty, that's not safe, but it's good. And, one, and the last thing he says before he just ascends into heaven, he's like, again, and guys, we've been through this before, but remember... I'm with you. You can trust me. Jump in the pool. And, and that's really my challenge. If there is one tonight, that's the challenge. Is just to have complete trust that A, that desire that's in your life, that, that is from God. God is the one that, that coded that in our DNA. 
and that he wants to fulfill it. He wants to satisfy that so much more than we could ever imagine. But he's saying once again, just trust me. I'm good. I'm trustworthy. And I'm right here. So, Father God, thank you for this time. Thank you for this night, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing in the lives of the people here. And God, we just ask that you send your spirit, that you would go with us this week, and that you would help us just to trust you a little more. Let's just stand and respond.